All right. Hey, so we're going to continue our sermon series. I'm going to put the title slide up there, and it says, Learning to Live in the Father's House. So listen, I think this is probably going to be it. I think it's probably Miltic series for all it's worth, and so we're going to probably wrap it up tonight. Um, so since this is the last uh, installment in the series, do you guys mind if I tell you a story? I'm going to tell a story. So um, I don't remember the exact dates because I'm bad with dates and things just run together, but it's probably about three or four years ago. Um, Joy and I, we, we, uh, we had three, three kids come to stay with us as a sibling set. They were all under the age of seven. And I don't remember what Joy was doing that night or the girls. They were, they were somewhere else. And it was just me at the home, and social worker shows up and drops off these three small children at my house uh, at like 7 o'clock at night. So it's dark outside. You've been to my house. It's out in the woods in the middle of nowhere. Um, poor kids. They were scared to death. I think I eventually, like, I watched Shrek or something and fell asleep on the couch. I don't remember. Um, but I think, you know, we were all nervous and scared, and it was really different um, because, you know, their whole world had changed um, in like 10 hours that day. And uh, it was interesting, though, because, like, you don't think about the way you do things until you have to explain the way you do things to other people, right? <sighs> Little things, like the fact that we sit together at the dinner table together and we eat together as a family was strange to them. Things like, hey, we don't, we don't eat until everyone has food on their plate, or we, we give thanks to God before we eat. Like, little things about how, like, the culture of the dinner table at our house was very new to them. And it was, it was honestly a lot. Like, I felt, I felt like a real sense of compassion for these kids because they're having to learn to live in a completely new world that was so foreign to anything they had ever experienced before. And there was this really steep learning curve of like how we do things and how we treat each other and how we speak to each other and how we don't do this and then we don't do this, but we also we make sure we do this. And it's all these little things that probably felt overwhelming to these small little children that didn't ask for all of this change. And so maybe you've never gone through like such crazy change where you had to learn like a whole new family's way of doing things or be a part of a whole new household. But maybe at some point in your life, like you went and spent the night with a friend, right? You hung out with someone else or you were around their family. I remember like the first few times when I was little and I would like go to somebody else's house or even just like aunt and uncle. I was like, wow, these people are weird. They do weird things. Sometimes it's good. I remember the first time I ever had Krispy Kreme donuts, right? I was at a friend's house and his dad on Saturday morning went and got Krispy Kreme donuts. And I was like, wow, I'm going to stay here. Anyways, also they were Jewish, and they did things that I didn't understand, and I was like, I don't understand that either, because there was a lot that was different, because when you go to someone else's house, like, you kind of have to learn the customs and the norms and the values and the way that they do things, and everyone does things different. Like, some people, I've learned, I don't know why, people put the weirdest things in the refrigerators. Like, that's just the way their house does things, right? Some people put, who puts syrup in the refrigerator? Why? That's... It doesn't need to be refrigerated, and it tastes better warm. See? <sighs> okay, anyways, listen, one day, I have bad news. I have bad news, guys. Listen, one day, some of you guys are going to get married. And you're going to love this person, and you're going to think they're wonderful. And then you're going to move in to, with them, and you're going to live in the same house, and you're going to find out they have weird ideas about how a house should operate. You're going to argue about the way you fold towels. I never thought there were so many ways to fold towels. 
And then I got married. And I learned I was doing everything wrong my whole life. Now, I, I know it's, it's a funny story, right? But, but the reality is, is when we live together with other people, we have to figure out how we're going to live together. We have to figure out how we're going to fold the towels. We, we have to figure out what does mealtime look like? Who's responsible for doing the dishes? And, and who's responsible for, for this? And where do we store this? Because if you store this thing on this shelf, but I think it should go on this shelf, then we're going to have like nine jars of jelly because we all store them different places and nobody could find them. Right? We have, we have to learn. We have to learn how to live together if we're going to be in a family. And, and this is really hard. Like, I know we, we like to make jokes about things, but it, it really is hard learning to live with other people because we like to do things our way, right? Because our way is the right way. Like, the way that you install the toilet paper is the right way, and the way that everyone else does it is the wrong way, right? And so we have this struggle, and I, I, think, I think we have the same struggle in the body of Christ I think the early church struggled with this, which is why we get lots of letters. And, and tonight we're going to look at um, Paul's letter to Ephesus, the, the letter of Ephesians. Uh, we're going to look at maybe the last two or three chapters of that. You can leave that slide up there. It's not going anywhere. Anyways, um, we're going to look at the last, last few chapters of Ephesians. And what we're going to see is this. What we're going to see is that the early church, that, that they had a lot of new converts, had a lot of people who were new to this whole Jesus movement thing. And they had not learned to live together. And they had some problems because of that. Because they weren't arguing about whether or not you put, you know, your syrup in the refrigerator or which shelf your jelly goes on. They weren't arguing about how to fold towels. They were, they were, they were clashing over far deeper issues. And the way they were treating each other, the way they spoke about each other, the way they spoke to each other, the culture, the way they lived their lives, their values— Deeper things than just the superficial things we joked about, but the deep values that would set them apart. They, they were at odds over these things. And there's this real angst that Paul has over this. If you could maybe imagine with me, right? The Apostle Paul, he travels around telling everyone about the gospel of Jesus, how that that God sent his son to the world to reconcile all of the world to him. That anyone, that all people of the earth could become sons and daughters of, the, of God Most High and be a part of his family. And then that family tries to kill each other. That, that somehow in Christ, Jews and Gentiles were reconciled into one family and then they try to kill each other. Imagine this, right? Imagine I told you how great of a parent I am. And I told you about all my great parenting skills and how well-behaved my children are. Now, you guys have met my children, so you know it's probably a lie, right? But let's just say, for instance, I told you about how, how well-behaved my children were, and I tried to convince you of my great parenting methods and how you should apply this to your own life. And then I invite you over to my house Right? And there's screaming, and there's blood, and there's tears, and there's mud everywhere, and like the dog is soaking wet, and no one knows why, and like something's on fire, and it smells funny, and like, why? Right? Because that's what my house is really like sometimes. 
But if I told you about how, how well-behaved my family or my children are, and then I invited you into my house, and this was the reality that you saw, would you believe me? Would you believe that what I was telling you was true? Or would you believe, like, this is crazy? And so here's the problem that Paul has. He's, he's told everyone about this gospel that brings Jews and Gentiles together, that, that allows those who were once pagans to now live a new life as the children of God. And just to be real honest, like, they were not doing a great job. And what was at stake was the truth of the gospel. And so in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he, he spends the first half, he's really more philosophical in explaining uh, his arguments and setting up um, the reasons why. But then at the end of Ephesians, uh, starting in, in, in chapter 4, Paul gets really, really practical. And so we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4 here in just a minute. Now, I'm going to give this disclaimer. I'm going to read from the New English Translation. Um, because something that the New English Translation does really well that yours may not do is it translates the word, there's a conjunction, and it translates it as therefore. Because what Paul is doing is Paul is going to link together these therefore statements. And anytime you see therefore in the text of Scripture, you want to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? And so, like, why is Paul saying therefore? Because basically it links all of these statements together. And so we're going to try to follow from like chapter 4, all through chapter 4, and part of chapter 5, but I'm not going to read it all. You think you, think you can hang in there as we go through this? It'll make sense, right? Great, great. So we're going to start in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, how about we start in verse 1, right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling which you have been called. And so Paul is exhorting these people to listen. It's getting serious because you're not living in the way that you ought to be living. You're not living the way that the Father wants you to live. You're not living like the family of God. You're living like this other thing because why would Paul tell them to think about something that was irrelevant, right? So he's asking them to consider how they're living, and he's saying, I urge you to live worthy of this calling because there is this issue going on. Now I'm going to skip down to verse 25 in chapter 4. I know I'm skipping a bunch, but it'll be okay. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through 32. Paul says, Therefore, having laid aside falsehood, each one of you should speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down uh, on the cause of your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. The one who steals must steal no longer. Rather, he must do, sorry, he must labor doing good with his own hands so that he may have something to share with the one who is in need. You must let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for building up of the one who is in need, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You must put away every kind of bitterness, anger, wrath, quarreling, and evil and slanderous talk. Instead, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Now, I know this is really practical, and you don't need me to explain to you what Paul is saying, right? He says, stop having bitterness in your heart. 
Stop being angry. Stop quarreling. Stop slandering other people. Stop doing the bad things to each other that you've been doing, and instead, be nice. To be honest, to preach this text to you, it kind of feels like I'm talking to my kids, like, okay, kids, what's the rule? Do we hit each other in the face? No. Great. So let's not do that anymore. Can you promise not to do that anymore? Yes. It, it, feels, it feels insignificant. It does. It feels like I'm not a child. I know these things are bad. I can read the list. None of these things, bitterness, anger, wrath, quarreling, evil, slanderous talk. Of course those are bad things. Of course, if I'm part of the family of God, that's probably not how I should treat my siblings. I think part of the problem for a lot of us, it's that it would probably actually have been better for us to live our entire lives as lost pagans, having no knowledge of the gospel, and then later in life actually come to a relationship with Jesus than for us to have been raised with one foot in the Father's house and one foot in the culture of the world. And this weird thing that happens when we mix the two together and we blur the lines between what is right and what is wrong, and we, we have this idea in our mind almost as if we live in two different worlds. Because we can cognitively identify these as problematic behaviors, and no one's going to argue and say, yeah, bitterness is awesome. We should really just go slander some people and start some rumors and say evil things, because that obviously is bad. But we live in this world that, like, yes, when I'm around God's people, we don't do those things. But the rest of the time, around other people, that's different. And so we try to live as if we are part of God's family in one part of our life, and then we have this whole other part of our life that somehow is segmented off. And, and it goes back to being that, that we are not really being honest with one another, that we're not speaking the truth to one another, actually living this other life as if we're one foot in the family of God and one foot over here. And I think sometimes... We don't realize how dangerous this is. And Paul actually, he tells us here in this, this paragraph how dangerous this is. This is my first point from this first uh, passage. That following the culture that we live in grieves the Holy Spirit and gives the devil a foothold in our lives. So think about this, right? Paul is saying this gospel of Jesus Christ is so powerful that it brings Jews and pagans together in the family of God. That's pretty powerful that it reconciles all people together. The problem is, when we profess outwardly to have been transformed, to have been reconciled to God, to be a part of the family of God, but then we live in a way that's not truthful, that's not honest to that, we grieve the Holy Spirit. And we give the enemy a foothold. We give an opportunity for our enemy to both pull us down and to distract others and so Paul makes this argument, and then he goes on. I'm going to keep reading chapter 5, verse 1. It's a continuation where I left off. Another therefore statement. Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 1, Therefore, right, because of what I said, because of the grieving the Holy Spirit, because of the giving the foothold for the devil, because of that, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and live in love just as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial 
and fragrant offering to God. But among you, get ready, it's going to make another list. But among you, there must not be either sexual immorality, impurity of any kind, or greed, as these things are not fitting for the saints. Neither should there be any vulgar speech, foolish talk, coarse joking, all of which are out of character, but rather thanksgiving. For you can be confident of this one thing, that no person who is immoral, impure, or greedy, such as a per such person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let nobody deceive you with empty words, for because of these things God wrath, God's wrath comes on the sons of disobedience. And so Paul sets up this argument. He says, hey, live worthy of your calling because, or therefore, because if you don't, you're going to grieve the Holy Spirit and you're going to cause a stumbling block. And because of that, you need to imitate God. Imitate God in what way? Imitate God in that he gave up his life willingly for others. He, he gave up himself sacrificially. And how does that connect? He says, but there shouldn't be any evil speech. He said, no impure words, no sexual immorality, no foolish joking or coarse joking. Because you guys, <clears throat> you guys don't know people who talk like that, right? Everyone, it's really funny. I was having a conversation with someone today um, who was not a believer. It's so funny. I love these conversations, right? Talking with, with people. And the question always comes up, right? So what do you do for, for work? I hate that. I hate that question because I'm I'm in a I'm in a conversation with with two other adult men having a conversation. They have no clue who I am, what I do, and we're having a conversation. And they're they're telling me about what they do, and like every other word is like an f bomb, and it's just really vulgar and profane. I'm like, this is the world that I live in. And so so then they go, hey, so uh, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And they immediately start ap apologizing profusely. I'm so sorry. I'm, I didn't know. I'm so I'm like, why are you apologizing to me? I get it. Like, you don't, you don't follow Jesus. Of course you're going to behave that way. And they seem kind of shocked and insulted. And I was like, what else am I supposed to assume? I, I really don't like that question because people act differently around me because well, because they're conditioned that there's a way that you behave around church people and there's a way you behave around everyone else. And somehow we have this dividing line as if, as if they're not the same. You see, here's, here's the thing that Paul's getting at. He's saying we have to be imitators of God in that Christ gave up his life for us because he loved us. And so here's, here's the point. Joining God's family requires surrendering of your rights. And this is hard because... In our mind, we want to justify all of these little behaviors. And I know Paul's giving this a long list. And to be honest, like we could probably add any other sinful behavior that you want to, to list. I don't think the importance here is that we make a comprehensive list of all the things that God is forbidding. Because to be honest, you probably know most of the time before you do it. But what Paul is saying is, if I'm going to live in the body of Christ... I give up all of my rights because that's what Jesus did for me. He gave up all of his rights. He sacrificed his own life 
And, and maybe, maybe you feel justified in certain behaviors. Maybe you think, mm, this is going to hit home for some folks. You know, maybe you think, well, my mom or my dad or my grandma or my granddad or whoever it is that in your life maybe was a spiritual leader, well, they, well, they did it, and they seem like a pretty good person, so I guess it'll be okay for me. I was having this conversation with these folks, and I, I, I said to the one guy, I was like, so um, do you have kids? He just dropped his head. He goes, yeah. And he, he told an instance of his five-year-old repeating something he had said the other day. And I said, you know, you can't hide who you are from the people that are closest to you. And I think sometimes we don't realize how that these little behaviors, how that we think they're, they're insignificant. We think that, that maybe the coarse joking or, or maybe it's profanity or maybe it's Maybe it's just entertaining thoughts or ideas of sexual morality. I don't, I don't know. I don't know which one of these hits home for you, but we just think, well, this doesn't. This doesn't affect other people. Like it's it's okay. Like it's just a thing that I do. But the reality is, it's like our choices affect everyone in our family. My choices affect everyone in my family. My choices affect my kids, and they don't they don't get to choose my choices, but they affect them, right? My my choices affect my wife. My choices affect those who are in covenant relationship with me. And, and what, what Paul's getting at here is that, that, if, that if we are going to be the family of God, then, then because of that, we must not grieve the Holy Spirit. We must not give the devil a foothold. We must not lie to each other or have this divided life and think that we can live one way and, and this other way. And then, and then we, we can't maintain this right that I, I have a right to behave the way I want to behave. I have a right to do what I want to do. And I don't know, sitting right here, you guys are like, yeah, of course. I don't get to pick my own morality. Of course, if I'm going to be in God's family, I have to, to accept his values and his morals. But I, I, I tell you, I've had lots of conversations with people about issues in their life that don't glorify the Lord. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah no, 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 no. Like for everybody else, for sure, that's bad. But like, you just don't understand my situation. And I think we really have this difficulty of surrendering our rights, surrendering what we think we ought to be allowed to do, that we ought to have the right to be angry. We ought to have the right to be bitter because we were wrong, because we used to understand what happened. Paul goes on with this therefore chain in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Sorry, verse 7 through 14. Ephesians 5, 7. Therefore, there's that word again, do not be partakers with them. For you were at one time darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness. Do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. But rather expose them. For the things they do in secret are shameful even to mention. But all things being exposed by the light are made evident. For everything made evident in the light 
For this reason it says, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, Christ will shine on you. One of my last points is this. You approve of the things you tolerate. You approve of the things you tolerate. Think about this. The world is looking at the family of God. Our claim that the gospel has done something different. The gospel has done something real. The gospel has done something powerful in us. That is our claim. We are positioned in a place to be a prophetic voice to the culture and to the world that we live in. We have a God-given responsibility to shine the light of Christ in dark places. How in the world can we do that if we allow that same darkness to live in our lives? And to be honest, I really, you couldn't tell when I was reading, but when I was, I was praying, I really got stuck on verse 11. The first half is not that hard. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Okay, all right, great, great. Don't slander, don't steal, right? Don't have malice in your heart, don't have bitterness, right? Don't lie to each other, don't be fake, be sincere. These, like, don't do bad stuff, right? Let's be honest, like, most of you, you at least try for, like, three days to try not to do bad stuff anymore, right? Of course you would. But then Paul just, he just turns and goes, but, but don't just not do it, but expose it. Call it out when you see it, because that's what light does. When light shines in a dark place, it exposes the things that are being done in darkness. We, we've gotten to a place as the body of Christ that like we don't like the idea that part of being light is to expose darkness. Mostly because we ha- maybe we haven't done, dealt with the darkness in our own lives. We haven't, haven't thought enough about, hmm. And if I deal with the darkness in other people's lives, then I have to deal with the darkness in my life. So maybe that's part of our issue. And so what's happened is the people, it's the same problem that Paul had, the people that Paul's going around, the people that, Maybe your pastor, whoever, is going around saying, these people are redeemed. The power of Christ has redeemed them and transformed them, and they're a new person, and and they're like in the family of God now, and there's this amazing, miraculous power in the resurrection of Jesus. Except in reality, they're just like everyone else in darkness. And that's a real problem. You see, I think... I think there is a, a time and place, right, when I relate to like, those poor kids that landed themselves in my living room that night, all alone with this strange man in a strange new place and strange new way of doing things, and it was really hard for them to figure out, like, how am I supposed to do all the things in this new house? Like, I get it. Like, when we're new and following Jesus, it, it takes time to figure out the things that grieve God's heart, the things that grieve the Holy Spirit, that give the enemy a foothold. So I think there's grace, and we, we need to avoid uh, crass legalism. We need to avoid just, like, you know, shooting our wounded. We need to avoid um, fault-finding in others. And so I'm, I, I'm, I'm not saying we need to pursue legalism and, 
and we need to like focus on like all the negative things. I think there's there's danger over there, but I think part of what has gone wrong is the church as the family of God, we've lost the moral high ground. And because of that, we've lost our prophetic voice. We can no longer call out the darkness in the world around us. And to be honest, I think we live in such a divisive world and we're, we're just, we haven't figured out for ourselves what are the morals of the kingdom? Because, listen, there are so many people in the family of God whose morals have nothing to do with God's morals and everything to do with, like, some other thing that they somehow have mixed. And I mentioned this earlier that, like, like we've grown up thinking, so many people, not you, because you're not like this, right? Because you complain about these people who've, who've grown up thinking that somehow my, my like, political affiliation is the same as my moral convictions or, or what this group that I'm a part of thinks that that's the same. And we, we've conflated all these things, and now we're worried that people are going to think about, about us. And so we've gotten to a place where no one who bears the name of Christ is willing to actually call out darkness and say, that is evil. I struggled. We had conversations in our office last week. We were talking about an event that some people were talking about. It was in the news, maybe not as much as other events. Um, And we actually had this conversation. Hey, like, what should our opinion be? Should we talk about our opinion? Is this going to feel too political if we talk about how evil this evil thing was? Like, what does that say about the hope of the future of our society when those who are God's people can't call evil evil? When we're afraid to publicly say those people who did that evil thing are in fact evil. And I I think it's probably not that we're not sure about what evil is. I don't think that's it. But I I think it comes back to this whole thing that, like, we ourselves have not learned to be the light. We have not learned to live in the light with one another. We have not learned to have honesty and integrity the way that we deal with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, And there's so much darkness that's still in us that we lack the light to shine in others. And the enemy has taken a foothold, and we've grieved the Holy Spirit and we've, we're struggling with our, our wanting to keep our rights and be who we want to be. And in the middle of all of that, the church has just stopped exposing darkness. We've stopped being angry at the things that God is angry about. We've start, stopped caring about the things that break God's heart. We've stopped caring about what grieves the Holy Spirit, what gives the devil a foothold. And those things somehow have faded away because we're too busy worrying about what we're angry about or what we're hurt about or who did what and when and where and why they were wrong or why I was right and all of these quarrels and bickering and just our own greed and desire to make money and do things for ourselves, and we're just chasing all of these things. And the world is in darkness. And evil reigns in our society. You know, I... I didn't, I didn't watch the Grammys. I didn't, I didn't even know about that thing, whatever happened. I don't know what you saw. I'm sure you got a friend that said something really terrible. Um, when I wrote the sermon, I was unaware. But, but I, I think one of the things that's really hard for us, and I think this should be a wake-up call. If you are following Jesus, and you are no longer shocked by the darkness in our world, 
you should evaluate the culture that you have assimilated to. It's so strange for me. Um, our daughters are pretty sheltered. Riley will come home from school and say, these boys said these bad words to me, and I went and told the teacher. And to be honest, like for my ears, like, oh, that wasn't that bad. And then I feel bad. Because I'm desensitized to things that grieve the Holy Spirit. I'm desensitized because I struggle to live as part of the family of God, but also live in the culture that I'm immersed in. And the problem is it's so difficult for us to distance ourselves from the old way of being. The problem, the problem here is these Gentile pagan believers that— Paul's not saying they weren't truly converted. He's not saying they weren't truly believers, but he's saying you've got to stop living that way if you're going to learn to live as the family of God. I think sometimes when we think about these sin issues in our life, we only think about how they affect us. We assume that if people don't know about them, then they're not really problems. We think that, that these quarrels, these things we have with other brothers and sisters are not really a big deal. And we don't realize the weight because Paul would not have spent this entire letter to the Ephesians addressing these problems if it wasn't significant, if it wasn't meaningful. Continuing in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul gives us another, therefore, he's not done yet. Therefore, because of all these things we've talked about, therefore, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, taking advantage of every opportunity because the days are evil. For this reason, do not be foolish, but be wise by understanding the Lord's will, what the Lord's will is. And do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for each other in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. Last point. Be careful that you know the difference between God's will and God's grace. I think so many of us who are trying to live in the Father's house, we focus on God's grace and what he will allow us to do, and we focus so much on what can I get away with and still technically call myself God's son or daughter, and we completely ignore the dangers and we completely ignore the joy and the fulfillment that comes when we live in the Father's perfect will. Have you justified your actions, your behaviors because, well, the Lord has to forgive you. He's gracious. I think so many who profess to be followers of Jesus We're unwilling to give up our rights 
We make excuses like this is the way I was raised. This is the way we did things in my house. This is the way my dad did it or my granddad did it. This is the way that whoever did it. And the reality is this. If we want to live as children of God, we have to learn to live in the Father's house. And if we get to a place where we're not willing to allow God to change these things in our heart, we're not willing to be light in a dark place, that we're not willing to not only shun evil, but that we would expose evil and the works of evil in the world around us. Can I just be really honest? Like, you're not going to enjoy eternity. See, this is the thing. Like, this this whole thing about following Jesus is about living in the Father's house for all eternity under His rules, under his way of doing things, under his value system, under his culture. And if that's not something that seems good and appealing to you, then you need, you need to have some serious time and introspection of do you really want to follow Jesus? Or is this just you wanting God's grace so you don't feel so bad about the things you've done. Like children who've been adopted by our Heavenly Father, we we must learn to adopt the culture of the kingdom. We have to learn to live the way that the Father says we have to live. We have to to learn to live a different way. Paul tells the Ephesians, he says, be careful how you live, not as unwise. You know, I think this is one of the problems is most of the time we don't stop and think about the way we live our lives. We don't stop and think about the amount of darkness that we let into our lives. We don't stop and think about the amount of fellowship that we have with evil in this world. It's so strange that we would call ourselves children of the light, but then we would act around evil people in dark places as if that is totally normal to us. And I I know the argument that's coming. I get it, right? Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. That is a true statement. Jesus did eat with prostitutes, but he was not their pimp. He was not on site while they were working. He was not giving complicit approval for their evil actions. In fact, those tax collectors that Jesus ate meals with, they repented and they gave back the money they stole. And rather than condoning their darkness, he exposed it and they repented of it. Let me ask you this. If I were to go interview the people that you know that you're friends with who aren't walking in the light... Would they say that they feel the least uncomfortable about their sinful lifestyles when you're around? Because if your presence doesn't expose the darkness in their life, then something's wrong with the light in your life. I I joke because I I don't like that people change the way they behave when they find out I'm a pastor. Because I don't want my title to be the thing that makes people change. I want the light of Jesus in me 
to be the thing that exposes the darkness in their life. If the church and the family of God are only getting in by the skin of our teeth, if there's not real light in us, what hope is there for a lost and dying world? Our choices don't just affect us. They affect all that God has called us to reach. It's not about just living under God's grace just enough so that I can say that I'm in. But it's about knowing and living in his perfect will. It's about redeeming every opportunity, redeeming every conversation to expose the works of evil rather than giving complicit approval. There's, there's a man named Saul in the Bible. I'm sure you're familiar with his story. He later becomes Paul. But there's this really weird detail that, that Luke and Acts gives us. He says that there were these people who were killing this deacon named Stephen. And while they were killing him with big, huge rocks, there was this guy named Saul. He didn't participate in killing Stephen. He just stood on the side and held their coats while they threw rocks. He wasn't, like, actively engaged in the darkness. He was just kind of there watching. I know that this seems weird to think about for some of you guys because you don't have kids. But I often try to put my, myself in the shoes of the Heavenly Father. TJ, you can come on back up. We're going to wrap up here. Because I, I do have kids, and so I, I think, and how would I feel if that was my kid? See, that, that's the thing about living in the Father's family. Like, his family becomes our family. And what grieves him should grieve us. So if I wouldn't want someone doing that to my child, I probably shouldn't stand by quietly while someone else does it to someone else's child. If I wouldn't want my, my, my children to be exposed to that type of evil, why would I be okay with my Christian brothers and sisters being exposed to that type of evil? And I think, I think this is a really serious thing that we have to ask ourselves. If I have been redeemed by Jesus, how therefore should I be living? What is the therefore in my life? What, what are the implications of the previous statement? That's the whole thing about the, the therefore. The implications of this lead to the implications of this, which lead to this. And, and Paul lays out his argument beautifully. And if I could just, just sum it up for you, it's this, that if we are God's people, we should be different. The culture and the values of the family of God should be different Noticeably different from that of the, the culture that we are immersed in. I'm going to read to you Ephesians chapter 1, sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 again. Paul's opening statement in this whole long series, and we didn't get through all the therefores. If you want to go read them later, he gets real particular about how you should treat your spouses and how you treat your servants and how you treat your kids, and you can go on and on. But, but we're going to stop here. But I'm going to read verse 1 again. Ephesians 4, 1. I, therefore... The prisoner for the Lord urge you to live worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So the short answer, the short question tonight is, are you living worthy of the calling? 
Are you living worthy of the name, of the title, of being sons and daughters of God? I'm going to ask a few more questions for you to consider before we respond. Have you found yourself defending your right to sin or defending your right to rebel against God's culture of his kingdom? Have you found yourself complying with the darkness rather than shining a light that exposes it? Have you been taking advantage of God's grace without pursuing his will for your life? Maybe another thing to think about. If we were to, to hire an observer, a completely neutral person, if that person existed, to follow you around for a week, and we told them nothing about you, would they know that you are God's son or daughter? Or would they assume that you have just assimilated to the culture of the people that you live around? Paul's calling us to be different. He's saying you've been called to be different. Live a life worthy of that calling. So I'm going to pray a prayer here in just a minute. I'm going to invite you to respond. You can come and kneel and pray. I'll, I'll be up here. Our staff will be around the room. Small group leaders, you can have one of them pray for you. Or you can just have a friend where you're at pray for you. Or you can just pray alone. I, I really don't care how you respond. I just want you to respond to God's word if it's speaking to you. And so if you guys will stand with me, I'm going to pray over us, and then we're going to respond. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being called your kids. We thank you that you have adopted us into your family by the precious blood of your son, Jesus. Lord, we repent for what we've done to partake in the darkness of this world. We repent for where we've justified our actions, we repent. Or where we tried to hold on to our rights, we repent. The way we've treated our brothers and sisters in Christ and Lord, most of all, we repent. For we've grieved your spirit. Oh, tonight, would you humble us? Would you call us to repentance? And would you transform those things that are broken in our life? Would you let your light shine in us and expose the darkness in us so that we can let our life shine? in the world that you put us in. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can respond. Thanks for listening to the Troy Chi Alpha podcast. For more information about the ministry of Troy Chi Alpha, you can look us up online at troychialpha.com. You can email us at troychialpha at gmail.com or find us on social media at Troy Chi Alpha. Thanks for listening.